the CEO of Land Lakes is a woman. And Amanda was at a meeting talking to a gentleman who had two or three daughters of his own and was asking Amanda, like, what advice can you give me to talk to my girls to bring them back to the farm or want them to work there? Then the CEO came up to talk and he's like, oh, well, I'm getting out of here. I don't want to listen to her speak. Succession isn't just passing your farm on to your family. It's about all the other things you leave as well. Right there is the problem. He is the problem. That's his mindset, and that's what he's putting off to his daughter. Farming with family can blur the lines between business and personal. Farm problems can become family problems, and vice versa. Working closely with a parent or sibling can be incredibly rewarding, but it's also true that no one can tick you off quite like family. And what about raising kids? How do you take care of your land and your loved ones equally when on their own, either one could be a full-time job? Even when you think you've got it all figured out, there's the looming question of succession. Who's going to run the farm after you? I'd argue that the issue at the core of that question is legacy. How am I going to be remembered? Did I teach my kids the right values? Does the farm end with me? So, on this episode of Cultivating Resilience, we're going to tackle all of it. The challenges that farming presents to families and how to pass along a farm that you're proud of. You'll hear from three farmers, two who have inherited a farm, and one that's getting ready to pass hers along. This is Cultivating Resilience from Cultivamos, the podcast where farm care starts with self-care. Our first guest, Thelma Kiernan, has been a beef farmer for two decades. Like many farmers, Thelma's down to earth. And what's your favorite time of the year at the farm? Definitely not mud season. <laughs> Thelma owns and operates Kiernan Farm in upstate New York with her husband, Marty. 1308 Brunswick Road in Gardner, New York. It's 140 acres. It's peaceful. It's on a very scenic route. People come by constantly, stop, take pictures of the cows. Can you describe what it would be like for uh, a visitor who got out of their car and was walking around the property? What would they see and hear and feel? First, they would see the big old barn on the road. And behind that is the cliffs of the Shawangak Mountains, basically Millbrook Mountain, sheer white cliffs. And usually when they come up the drive, they're like, wow, you live here. <laughs> Do you ever get tired of the view? It's like, no, I mean, we don't. It's, it's very quiet, peaceful. Thelma and Marty have owned the property since 1982, but they didn't set out to be farmers. Well, it was kind of by accident. Friends of ours were raising a couple of steer for themselves, and they wanted to do more. We had the land, and uh, we bought some steer along with female cows. And we didn't realize, but they had been bred. So we started having calves, and they kept multiplying and, and going from there. Our next guests are cow farmers, too. They're also sisters. I am close enough to this microphone, I think. I can't hear you. <laughs> she keeps pushing a mic in front of my face. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Amanda Daughter Condo. I am one of the owners here at, at Paul Daughter and Sons Dairy, a.k.a. Daughter Dairy. Hello, I'm Candace White. I'm the dairy manager here at our farm. We have 1,200 cows that I'm responsible for. So tell us a little bit about the dairy and a little bit about Mill Hall, Pennsylvania. So Mill Hall is... Um, 
it's a pretty nowhere town. And um, our farm, so it was started in 1951 by our grandparents. They started with 15 cows and 150 acres. And they had six children. Of those six children, um, two of them stayed to continue the farm. One was our father and one was our uncle. One of the reasons I'm excited for this interview is because um, I'm I just like dairy farms, um, and I can geek out on A1 versus A2 and stuff like that. You know, Guernsey, Jersey, Holstein. What what do you raise there at at Dottera Dairy? Holsteins, mainly Holsteins. They say that Jerseys are a little more have a smaller carbon footprint, but I think they're assholes to work with. <laughs> I think they kick <laughs> and they have a personality. I don't mesh well with. To me, I feel like a whole scene just wants to live and survive where a Jersey could probably just, should fight to die, <laughs> in my opinion. Owning and operating a business with your sister can be a double-edged sword because sisters can be real Jerseys sometimes. Now you get the business end, work in the fields, work in the barns, all those different responsibilities. What is it like running a farm with family? <laughs> it depends on the day. It's it's wonderful and it's stressful all in the same bucket. If the milking parlor's down, if the power goes out, something and the cows aren't getting milked, I get extremely stressed, <laughs> irritated, anxiety until things are up and running and running smoothly. Now, when disagreements occur, and I assume they occur like in any family, and so in a family business... How does that work and how do you resolve them? You usually just have to talk it out. And it's, it's usually best to just lay it all out on the table. You know, communication is key. If you're having an issue with somebody, get it out there. Talk it through and then move on. Did that ability to talk things out come naturally to you all or did you have to work at it? A little bit of both. Because I'm one to speak my mind and just say whatever I think and probably don't have a filter a lot of times. And that sometimes can get me in trouble. So I've learned to spout off a little bit, but then also be quiet at sometimes and think about what I'm going to say before I say it the wrong way or hurt somebody unintentionally by saying something. Farm life is demanding, and farm families can't always go on vacation or do things that other families do. So I've raised uh, well, well over a dozen calves over the many years. So someone has to feed them during the day. And we're not here. As soon as we get home, we have to feed them. So it's, it's stressful. And we get a little frustrated with each other because it's like, why did we do this? Why did we get into this? Can't go anywhere. <laughs> you know, can't do anything. In fact, there's so much that has to get done that sometimes you don't even have the luxury of spending time with family. I mean, there, there are definitely sacrifices that come with farming, right? Like it's, it's time consuming. So I think sometimes, you know, time spent with family, you know, sometimes in harvest season, you know, there are instances that dictate, you know, time away from your family. So to me, that is a sacrifice. Families aren't just parents and kids. They're spouses and partners, too. One thing that's important in any relationship is division of labor. But on a farm, there's so much to do that sharing work fairly can be hard. I generally, I'm the inventory clerk, market coordinator, marketeer. So basically, you know, bookkeeping, inventory, emailing, 
packing orders, getting it ready to go to the market. So a normal day now, anything can happen. I could wake up today and find that a cow's in trouble. A cow's gotten out. A cow's having a calf. I've had to pull a calf by myself, which I've seen done but never did before. And I was pretty proud of myself that mom and baby were able to get into the world okay. With so many responsibilities, it can also be hard to devote time to your relationship. With all those kinds of things that, that you just described, how do you and, and Marty navigate the marriage as well as the business? Sometimes it's a little rough. Sometimes we get yelling at each other. It's, you know. And if your partner's not a farmer, it can be hard to get the kind of support you need. Like, I know for me, if I'm having a hard day at the farm, like, I can go talk to my husband about it, but he's not going to fully understand. It would be like the neighbor who is across the mountain because when I have a stressful day, I want to talk to him because he knows what I'm going through. And so to try to talk about, you know, that stuff, it's, if nobody knows exactly what you're going through, they can be like, yeah, okay, I get it. Or I, or I kind of see where you're coming from, but they don't fully understand what it's like. With 22 years under their belt, Thelma and Marty have found ways of supporting each other by communicating and sharing responsibilities. There's signals we, we kind of know. Sometimes if it's just holding the gates, you know, to make sure the cows don't come out while the tractor goes in. We've had to raise uh, bottle babies for whatever reason, sometimes four at a time. Wow. Yeah, we've had two sets of fours. You know, they just keep coming. I feed two, he feeds two. Uh, we're bombarded by little mouths, you know, <laughs> hungry. These are all realities you have to contend with as a farm family. But when you talk about legacy, it's also important to think about the values you live by. And just like in relationships, actions speak louder than words. For the Kiernans, their values manifest in how they raise their cattle. Now, you talked about doing things right, and, and you, you just mentioned grass-fed. Could you tell us a little bit more about that decision to do grass-fed, and does it, does it make sense for you now? We decided to do the grass-fed, grass-finished, because it's healthier for the animal. And that means it's healthier for you. Normally, in general grazing, I mean, every cattle is grazed. They have to eat grass. When they're not eating grass, they're eating hay. The conventional way was to pull them in out of the fields and feed them, at the end, hay and grains, corn. That puts the extra fat, more weight. More weight means more money for the farmer. It's not necessarily very healthy for the animal. We don't change their diet at all. They might be a little smaller. It might take us a little longer to produce the size of the steer we want to go out, but that's the way it is. And it, it sounds like you're doing it because it's the right thing to do, both for the livestock and, and for what you know you all believe is, is healthy for the consumer. What kind of a role does it play in your marketing for consumers that it's grass-fed and grass-finished? They actually don't know sometimes because they'll go into a grocery store and buy grass-fed, but they don't know it's grass-finished. So they have to research the company. That's what I tell them, because they'll say, well, why is yours a little more expensive than what I can find in the store? And the reason is because it takes us an extra year. We also are raising them from a grass-fed cow that's never had anything but grass in her body. When it's that long and that much feed and hay is going in, and not feed, but grass and hay that's going into them, the cost of it. That's why our prices are a little 
more expensive. Candace and Amanda also incorporate their values into how they farm, even when it's more work. You know, I tell people, you know, we've been the environmentalists for as long as I can remember. You know, we recycle flush water. We're putting our manure on the fields to fertilize. We are using every ounce that we can the most responsible way that we can. And I also understand, at least as far as your cropping operation, too, is it, is it correct to say that you, you also uh, introduced no-till practices there or no? Yes, we've been doing no-till for, oh, goodness, I'm going to say 20-some years before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think just improving everything in general, you know, like, so we already do do, you know, no-till practices, but, you know, what else can we improve upon to make us more sustainable, you know, so that we're here for generations to come, you know, if our kids want to come back and, and take over someday. This commitment to values can extend beyond farm practices to something even more stressful, interacting with people. To me, lately, feeding my local neighbor has really been driving me. I'm getting into this custom beef, and even though it's a pain in the butt talking to some people, it drives me, and I like informing people of, you know, this is where your food's coming from, this is how it's cut down, this is the process that's going to happen. So for me, I think it'd be feeding our more local area. I was never quite outgoing. So it was, I was kind of thrown into that situation that I had to talk to people. Oh my God, I had to talk to people. And now I can talk to people and I can tell them everything. One of the values that Amanda and Candace live every day is gender equality in farming. I feel like women have been, I don't want to say more of a farmer, but equal partners with their husband if, they, if it's a husband and wife farming. But the woman is always, you know, I'm the farmer's wife. When in reality, she's probably doing just as much work, if not more, as him. So I feel like it's a mindset within women that need to just, you know, be strong and be one, say, I know I'm a farmer too. I'm an owner also. And it does irritate me, but it also kind of makes me laugh because when I do take my husband to a meeting, they start talking about cows and are looking at him. And he's like, I have no idea what you're even asking me right now. You got to talk to her. (laughs) So, I mean, it's frustrating, but it's also funny. And I think more people are getting used to it. These values don't come out of nowhere. They're taught and passed down. And a huge part of your legacy is what values you instill in the next generation. I think you're always going to have that small few that think that we should be barefoot and pregnant and not out in the world. For example, you know, the CEO of Land Lakes is a woman. And Amanda was at a meeting talking to a gentleman who had two or three daughters of his own and was asking Amanda, like, what advice can you give me to talk to my girls to bring them back to the farm or want them to work there? Then the CEO came up to talk and he's like, oh, well, I'm getting out of here. I don't want to listen to her speak. Right there is the problem. He is the problem. Just, you know, the him not wanting to listen to a woman CEO that's his mindset, and that's what he's putting off to his daughter. So, like, it's got to start with the fathers at home. Like, our dad never treated us any differently. Like, it's time to go split wood. Get your ass out the door. We're going to split wood at 7 o'clock in the morning. You know, it's time to go milk the cows or do whatever. Let's go. We're going. It's clear from how Candace talks about her father that his parenting played a key role in her decision to become a farmer. But that can be another stressor, 
It's a big responsibility to instill good values in your children, and it's not always clear in the short term if it's working. I mean, you're a farmer, not a child psychologist. How can you make sure that your kids are learning the right lessons? And in a world of phones and friends and YouTube and a hundred other influences, how do you compete? It might be less complicated than you think. For one thing, being a kid on a farm is just fun. What was it like for you two growing up on the farm as children? I loved it. Being outside every day, having like a four-wheeler or a golf cart to play on, lots of acres to just go get lost on. If I wanted to find my dad and see what he was doing, you know, hey, dad, what's going on today? Need help doing this or that? You know, and if he was out, riding out, out riding in a tractor, get to go do that with him. We always had um, a dog or two, had horses. So it was just very freeing and great to be outside and enjoying the fresh air. <laughs> the unpredictable nature of farm work allowed the Dotterers to try all sorts of things outside of their comfort zone. Candace, I understand that you learned how to uh, introduce uh, intravenous uh, fluids to a cow when you were seven years old. Is that correct? So yes, growing up, I always wanted to be where my dad was or what he was doing and learning what he was doing. And I always liked watching what people are doing and that's how I learn. And so just watching him, you know, I said, dad, can I try that? Sure, go ahead. Uh, poor cow, I feel bad for her now looking back at it, but if, you know, you don't try, you don't learn. In fact, all our guests felt that simply growing up on a farm gave them a strong foundation. It's one of the most rewarding lifestyles ever. And it's also great for children to teach them responsibility and accountability. I think it's an excellent idea to teach kids where their food comes from, give them chores to do. I know when I was growing up, I did whether it was feeding the barn cats or go picking eggs, it gave me a sense of where food comes from and how it's handled. But there's a lot of children that don't have the opportunity to find out where things come from, where their food comes from, whether it's a plant or an animal. Of course, every situation will have its drawbacks. But even when things were bad, Amanda and Candace developed a sense of resilience. There was the other, you know, part of, we lived on a farm, right? And not a lot of kids lived on farms. So we would go to school and, you know, kids would make fun of us. Oh, there's those, you know, the farm girls, the stinky, stinky girls. girls. <laughs> and I don't think we stunk. <laughs> but it, it was just, you know, so it was a kind of an embarrassment almost um, looking back. But now, like, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. With those kinds of experiences, both the ones where, you know, kids would make fun of you, but also where you had that kind of freedom and could be in nature and were together, it sounds like, with family more so than a lot of families certainly now are, what kind of qualities do you think that kind of upbringing gave you, developed in you? I think it definitely instilled a sense of, um, you know, gratitude, humbleness. I don't know if humbleness is a quality, but it just makes you look at, at what the earth can do and produce and what animals can do. And it just makes you kind of look at things a, a little bit differently. And it kind of makes you, you know, realize where things come from. And how fortunate we are to be able to grow our own food right here in our backyard and help feed the world from our small town of Mill Hall. Even some of the sacrifices we talked about earlier can convey your values. And, you know, I'll go back to when we were growing up. You know, our dad wasn't around a lot because he was busy. You know, him and his brother were busy basically building the farm. Um, and we are forever grateful to this day that, that they did that and took that time. Um, I feel like 
growing up, watching my family work so hard and being close, like we had Sunday dinners together every day. It's just such a rewarding, great experience. And be able to be out in the elements and it sure does suck when it's freezing cold out and when it's super, super hot, but those days in between are just awesome. To see all of God's glory and what he has created, it's just amazing. I think it instills a sense of pride also. Yes. You know, you see you see that the corn being planted, you see the little sprouts coming up late spring, and then you see, you know, what it becomes during harvest season. It's just a sense of pride, like, look what we did. Eventually, once your kids are grown, it's time to pass on the farm. That can cause a lot of stress too. If farming is your passion and your livelihood, it can be daunting to think of life without it. But avoiding succession is just a way of pushing hard questions down the road. Well, I think they've seen situations where, you know, somebody in the older generation, they just hold on to the farm with everything that they have and they just don't want to let go. And then it does cause problems, you know, after that person passes away. A lot of farmers tend to, you know, they're taking it to the grave. And then it does cause problems, you know, after that person passes away. I think one of the main fears farmers have is that their kids aren't interested in farming. But those kids you think you know might surprise you. And as we were growing up, you know, we kind of all took different paths in our lives. And some of us wanted to stay on the farm. Some of us wanted nothing to do with the farm. I think um, most of us wanted to get away from the farm as soon as possible, except for Doug. Yeah. But lo and behold, we all we all kind of ended up back here with, with the exception of two. They weren't really involved in it till they came back from college. The daughter moved back in. And that was part of her, you know, to help out. She actually met her, her husband here. He was also would help on the farm as well. And like I said, we're hoping that they'll take over the beef part eventually. The only way to know for sure what your children want is to start a conversation. But that opens the door to another fear that farmers have, that things will change. In fact, that's something the Kiernans are going through right now. The other son talked the, the three of them into starting a winery, the Brunswick Winery. So we do have some grapes on one part of the farm. That's mostly Ryan's job is, is that part. He, got, he takes care of that. Also, along with the winery, the old farmhouse is the bed and breakfast. And that's used for anybody that wants to stay, but also for weddings and big events that they have. Carrie, the daughter, and her husband, John, would like to acquire the other part of the farm and raise uh, cattle, but it's going to be different. I don't think they really want to do the markets. I don't think they want to go through breeding. So that will stop. We, we did not breed this year. So um, we're downsizing. Thelma's at peace with the changes to the farm, in part because they've been having these conversations and making the changes gradually. And you've talked about Ryan and, and the vineyard. Going forward, what do those discussions look like as to the growth of the vineyard, the succession plan for the beef part of the operation? How do those conversations sound? Well, we've had quite a few conversations with the kids about that. When they decided to start raising grapes, probably about 10 years ago, that's probably when the conversations started. Slowly turning the barn into a winery and um, improving the barn. So it is, there's a tasting room now. But no, no accountants involved. Just basically what farm families do. Generations just take over. They have a different view of things. And like I said, the, the cattle 
will be run different than what it is now. So uh, that'll be the next generation that, that carries on the Kiernan Farm tradition, <laughs> I guess you want to call it. Once you clear the emotional hurdles, there is still the logistics to figure out. What are the most difficult part of the conversations as you figure all these things out? I guess making sure that everything is taken care of monetarily, I guess. Making sure that they're going to be set up to take care of it all. The land taxes are, you know, even though we're under ag exemption, it's still high. It's only on the, on the land. So it's making sure that they can handle all that because they're, they're young. They're working as well. But if the intimidating finances are what's stopping you, it's worth contacting an accountant who can help you navigate those complexities. A third party might even give you the kick in the pants you need to get started. Our accountant really pushed hard, too, for my father and uncle. Like, hey, these kids have been here doing the sweat equity. They've been working. I think it's time to start passing on you know, some of this business to them. Well, I think they also knew, too, that they were, you know, they're not getting any younger. So I think they were trying to be proactive in starting the process. And even with my grandfather, when he kind of transferred everything over to my dad and my uncle, you know, he, I'm going to say, was in his 70s, maybe late 60s, early 70s when he did that. And it's kind of unheard of for a lot of farmers. And though they've grown the operation, Amanda and Candace have made sure the roots are still the same. I guess the, the elders always wanted to preserve the farm and keep the farm in the farming name. So regardless of who was marrying who, or if there was to be a divorce or anything, the farm was always protected. And that's one of the big key things that we've always kind of been taught and it's the way that it still is. Thelma and Marty are also making sure that not everything changes. I think it was Marty thinking about it over the years. He's always felt that the farm should always be a farm. We had sold the property development rights years ago. So there can never be houses built on it. You've seen a lot of farms that were sold and now there's tons of houses. I know Han's probably down by you. You've seen that happen. And it's, it's not a pretty sight. And the farm didn't deserve that. There always should be some cows here for if you have a wedding on a farm, they want to see that. They like that. We're going to keep some of our favorites. So if you're worried about the future of your farm, it's important to take the same approach as you do with your cows or your crops. You can't control what happens. You can only control how you prepare and how you react to the given circumstances. Open lines of communication early and transfer responsibilities gradually. Accept that some things are going to change and share if it's important that some things stay the same. Here's something I've learned from talking to a lot of farmers. Even though it's your legacy, it's not up to you. Legacy isn't an autobiography. It's a story told by other people. So do what you think is right, instill those values in the next generation, and don't beat yourself up when reality gets in the way. Kiernan Farm people know the name. Uh, I don't know how exactly how that all happened, but after 22 years of being out there and, and selling meat, I guess it's kind of people are getting to know us. I hope that continues. I hope the, the kids continue that. And I think Ryan with the, with the vineyard also won't let that, the legacy go by the wayside. Your legacy isn't the farm. It's the things that have grown on it. 
It's not the things you can give to your kids, it's the things they've picked up from you. Even if you can't pass down the farm, you can pass down the values of farming. So give them the tools and space to become people of their own. If you do, they'll be well positioned to continue the family legacy, no matter what happens. How would you each like to be remembered? I don't know. That question just made me roll emotional. <laughs> I don't know. Why. I was going to say continuing my grandfather and father's legacy, my family's legacy. Yeah, I agree. You know, we're very proud of what our grandparents built and the sacrifices that our father's grandparents have made to get this farm to where it is today. So, yeah, I just think to, to continue their legacy and, and hope to build it, you know, to, to what makes them proud and what makes us proud. I'd like to thank Thelma Kiernan of Kiernan Farm, along with Amanda Dada-Ricondo and Candace White, who you can find at Dada-Rodary, as well as somewhere more surprising. But you can always look me up, Candace White. I'm on uh, TikTok. <laughs> it's my new favorite now. Oh my goodness, okay. All right. <laughs> I normally post videos about cows being stupid, so. <laughs> okay, I'll look I would that. like to do more with, you know, educating with TikTok. Cultivating Resilience is a podcast from the Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network. Your hosts are me, Hans Hageman, and Kay Megan Washington. Writing and production for this show is by Andrew Gannam, with sound mixing and editing by Alex Bennett at Lower Street Media. And special thanks to Jackie Lampward and Zamir Bridgman, without whom this season wouldn't be possible. Until next time, stay grounded. You know, there's not many Americans you know, lining up at our door to do this job, you know, because it is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And you might get pooped on <laughs> and you might get kicked and it's dirty and you're going to smell when you go home. <laughs>